Good morning. Good. Better. Nice strong. We're working our way through the book of Romans, Paul's letter, and uh, as we come to the, uh, after chapter 12, the first 11 chapters are about faith. They tell us what to believe. And then, having described how we're to believe, then Paul goes on to tell us how to behave, and that's always his pattern. Never tells us how we're to behave unless he prefaces it with what we're to believe. And as we'll see, uh, the Bible, the, with the thing that comes biblically, is expressing our faith through love. So therefore, founding love, which is how we're to behave, should, we have to focus on faith, which is what we're to believe. One of the questions that rise from a grace focus is, are we free to do whatever we want? Uh, question like, what about obedience? You know, what about the commandments? And in the beginning of chapter 13, it's kind of where Paul puts the focus. We saw last week when we talk about obedience, we're talking about love. Here's what it said in a text that we looked at last week. Oh, no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So love is the yardstick God measures us by, and it's the yardstick that he would have us measure ourselves by. And when Paul goes on then in chapter 14, which we'll look at, he, we learn about the relationship of love to the law of Moses as we think about the weak this week and the strong and then the strong next week. Look what he says, and let's look at the first couple of verses and we'll work our way through this section. Paul writes, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Um, what we're told in this section is do not judge others. And in verse 4, that's what he says. He asks a question. Why are you, who are you, I'm sorry, to pass judgment on the servant of another? And in verse 10, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And then Paul spells out what this means. What is he talking about when he talks about who are you to judge your brother? And that's what he says. He talks about um, dietary laws and the things you eat. Uh, verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. It says the weak in faith eat only vegetables. What's that about? How come, well, how does that work? The controversy that he is describing, it seems to apply especially to Jewish Christians whose background in Judaism gives them some pause when they think about eating anything and which encourages them. Listen to what happened when Israel 
went into captivity to Babylon. Uh, remember Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Uh, Daniel, Meshach, Yershach, and the bungalow? <laughs> they went to Babylon, and what they determined was that they were going to express their faith by only eating vegetables and not participating in foreign food. And here's what it says. Let me just read from Daniel 1. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So we agreed to do to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food, some of which violated Jewish dietary laws. So the official said, I I'm not going to be held accountable because you guys eating a vegetable diet, you actually look pretty good. So I'm going to let you honor your God by ascribing to the dietary laws that he tells you to do. So it was fine. He goes on. um, um, So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables and said, to these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel could understand visions and dream dreams of all kinds. The vegetable eaters who were in Rome had reason to cling to their practices, just like the Jews honored God when in Babylon by only eating food that was their cultural food and which the Bible prescribed, they said, why shouldn't we do that in Rome? I mean, why shouldn't we do what Daniel and those guys did when they were in Babylon? We're in Rome, and we should honor God by only eating vegetables. And that's the way they make sense. And there was confusion, though. Um, Some of the Jews who had become Christians, and there was a split among the Jewish Christians. Um, Some... They're asking, should we follow in Daniel's footsteps or not? Some of them said, yeah, I definitely think we should. And some of them said, no, we don't need to. And that's what Paul is addressing here. And why shouldn't they follow in Daniel's footsteps? And there is an answer. Um, Because God inaugurated a new covenant. And what it means, there was an old covenant. A covenant we've looked at that is an agreement. And God establishes the relational groundworks, ground rules by which he operates. And in the old covenant, you had to be clear about what you could and couldn't eat. There were things that you could eat and things you couldn't eat, and those, and God took them seriously. And when Jesus died on the cross, he inaugurated a new covenant. What that means is the old covenant was rescinded. And the new covenant was inaugurated. You can't have both of those covenants in operation. They are like oil and water. They're not the same agreement. And so what Paul understood is that when Jesus came, the old covenant was set aside. And the food laws were set aside. And the holy day laws were set aside. So those who grew up observing all these things, when they became Christians... 
we're not bound to do it anymore. That's what Paul understood. And the strong in faith had greater faith in the new covenant. They had greater faith in the new covenant. They understood we don't have to do what we did when we were growing up. Um, it didn't just apply to dietary laws. It also applied to observing Jewish holy days. Um, verse 5, it says, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Um, now we're in a position to understand when Paul says, As for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. What did it mean to be weak in faith? In the context, the weak in faith were confused about covenant. They kind of felt that they were halfway in between what the old prescribed and what the new prescribed. That is what Paul describes as weakness in faith. When God says, this is how we operate now, being strong in faith is to understand those ground rules and live by them. On this side of the cross, the new covenant is in operation. And what that covenant declares is, I will put my law in your minds and write it on your hearts, no longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, say, Know the Lord, because all will know me from the least of them to the greatest, and I will forgive their wickedness, be hilios to their unrighteousnesses, and remember their sins no more. Do you hear him talk about foods that we are not to eat? Does he talk about anything like that? There's, there's no ifs in the new covenant. It's a matter of God says, I will put my law on your heart. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will cause you to know me. I will be Helios to your unrighteousness. And you know what being strong in faith means? That we hear those things and believe them. And to believe those things then means that we understand that we are no longer under the jurisdiction of the commandments. Now that doesn't mean we do whatever we want, but it does mean under the Old Covenant, it meant if you do the commandments, you're blessed. If you don't do the commandments, you're cursed. That's what it meant. And that's why the Jews in Rome, they didn't want to stray from the dietary laws because they thought they might get cursed. They thought they might be blown up by God for that. But what Paul describes, he understands that it's hard to understand what God commands, especially when there's a change. Would you agree? You know, you look in the Old Testament, and there are a lot of things that are set aside by Jesus. And then in the New, it feels very different, and there's a lot of confusion relative to what applies and what doesn't apply. I mean, I mean can we mow the lawn on Sunday? Some, some, you know, some of us might even, even here have some disagreement about that. Uh, what Paul understands, though, is that um, the old covenant has been rescinded. It's no longer the way God operates. So, what Paul describes here is, if you want to keep the commandments, it's not really about the individual. Well, really, what it's about is. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's, that's what God wants. 
That's what God wants. Um, covenant clarity is a gradual process. I find that there is a lot of confusion about covenants, and that makes sense to me. We don't hear a lot about it. Um, the Bible talks about um, we all with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Glory is an image of understanding what God is saying. What it describes here, it doesn't happen all of a sudden. We behold as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. We hear about what God used to decree, what he decrees now, the clearer we are about what he is saying, the more we see it clearly, the more it changes us. It's not all at once. It doesn't happen in a moment in time. We hear it and we hear it and we hear it. It becomes clearer and clearer and it changes us from glory to glory to glory, which is clarity. We move towards covenant clarity, and that's the way it's supposed to work. So if you are in a place that you've been here a while, you might be able to look back on beliefs, and your beliefs have changed. You understand a little more clearly that you've been forgiven. What Paul would describe that as a strengthening of faith. Some of us, some of you, have not been around it that long, and you might find yourself feeling confused. I can understand what applies and what doesn't apply. And to which I'd say, yeah, absolutely, that's the way it works. And so what my encouragement would be, keep coming back. We'll continue to cloud, because that's the way it's supposed to work. The clearer you understand what God wants, the more firm your faith in that is and what Paul would understand that's what that's the way love ends up being welling up within us he talks in verse 5 he says each one should be fully convinced in his own mind the one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord, both of the dead and the living. Paul made room for the fact that there was confusion. Would you agree? It would have been pretty confusing for Jewish Christians, would you agree with me? The only Bible that existed was the Old Testament. That's all that existed. What they learned from Paul and others who were telling them what was relevant and what was not, they heard that a lot of things had changed. But this is a unique juncture in salvation history. What do I mean by that? That these same individuals were going from a covenant that God had inaugurated, the old covenant on Mount Sinai. He had placed the nation of Israel under the jurisdiction of that covenant. And then Jesus came 
and inaugurated a new covenant. This one no longer applies. And now they live on this side of the cross. But can you understand why they would be kind of confused about which applies and which doesn't? This is a unique juncture in salvation history, never to be repeated. The people of God existing under the old covenant, the covenant is switched, and now some of those same people live under the new covenant. What they observed when they were little and what they observe now, it's different. They're confused, and Paul has all kinds of room for that. That's why there's some who are strong in faith were really clear about where they were. I don't have to obey the dietary laws. I don't have to obey the holy day observances. Because all that was back there. Others are back here and they're saying, I'm, I can't bring myself to eat pork. I still feel bound by the rules that were placed over me when I grew up. Can you understand why there'd be confusion and a split in the community? And that's what's happening. The problem is that these two factions are not respecting. Those who are in the new covenant are despising those in the old. <laughs> you know, as if it's stupid. Why aren't you eating everything? And the ones who are in the old are judging those in there. So that's they're, they're judging on this side and there's on this side and there's a that's what's happening to the community to Jewish Christians in the community and the Gentile Christians are looking on and going and they're confused because they're looking to the Jewish Christians for clarity that's why Paul understands we've got to clear this up so that Gentile Christians can know what is God saying what is God saying Is he saying, keep the commandments and you'll be blessed? Disobey the commandments and you'll be cursed? Is that what he's saying? Or is he saying, I will be helios, non-reactive to your unrighteousnesses and remember your sins no more? Of course, that's way back there. And that's where confusion existed back there. But thankfully, there's no confusion today. These kind of questions, there's no confusion in churches today about what covenant God's, there's all kinds of confusion. Um, Paul describes what matters on this side of the cross. And here's what he says, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. We talk about this, anytime you're doing something, you've got to figure out what the end game is. The end game in basketball, you put the ball through the hoop. I guess uh, Wimbledon is happening right now, the finals. And what happens is putting the ball across the net. Hockey, putting the ball, putting the, the puck in the goal. What matters in terms of Christianity, and here it is, faith expressing itself in love. Faith would be understanding what covenant promises God has extended and the covenant commands that are no longer in operation. It's understanding this. And as the sense of forgiveness and freedom becomes deeper, the ability to love becomes deeper. That's the way it works. Faith, what we believe, expressing itself in love, how we are to behave. Um, 
Look what it says in verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. And every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I knew we were going to be judged. I knew it. You've been, you've been hiding that, and here it is. Here it is. We're going to be judged. And see, I knew you were sweeping that one under the rug. Let's understand what it means. It seems to be pretty straightforward. Um, there's a couple things that we look biblically It says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The thing about the Bible is that it can't contradict itself. Since it has one author, God speaking through different individuals, but he's the one who is inspiring it, then we have to look at something. This seems to determine Jesus, well, and what we, what it says in Romans, we looked at it, where there is no law, there is no transgression. Where there is no law, because transgression is when something is commanded and you don't do it. If we are no longer under the old covenant, if God doesn't put us under the jurisdiction of old covenant commands, we're not under the law anymore. Do you understand that? And if we're not under the law anymore, are we guilty of transgression? No. No, because if there's no jurisdiction by law, there's no transgression. Transgression is when there's a conscious, there's a line, and you cross it. That's really what transgression means. There's a line, and you cross it. If there's no law, there's no transgression. That's what it indicates. Christ is the end of the law. To everyone who believes. Also, Paul says, well, look what it says. Look what it says. What does that mean? Is God counting your sin? Because Christ is the end of the law to everyone who believes. Sin is not counted when there is no law. So, what is this thing about judgment? Listen to what Jesus said in John 3. I'm going to read three passages, and they're going to say some things that seem to be contradictory. Let me just read it. Short, John 3.17. Here's what it says, John 3.17. God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. That's He came into the world not to condemn, but so that condemnation could be removed. That's why what happens when he inaugurates a new covenant. And listen to what he says a couple chapters later. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, listen to me, has eternal life, 
He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. I'm going to read that again. Jesus' mouth, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He is passed from death to life. I guess what that says is that when we stand before him, if we are believers in Christ, there's not going to be a highlight reel. Okay, stand there, and we're going to show, okay, let's roll it. Let's roll it. No, and then you're thinking, oh, 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 no, you're not, oh, gee, holy smokes, I didn't know. You mean you were caping that too? I don't believe that's going to happen. Because I think we're under a new covenant. That's what Jesus says. And when we believe that, it changes the way we relate to God. Um, Jesus did say, now listen to this, he talks about judgment. I want you to listen to this. And I want you to answer the question, who gets judged according to Jesus? And for what? Okay? There is judgment. I want you to answer the question, who gets judged and for what reason? Okay? Here's what he says. John 9. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world. Wait a minute, didn't you just say, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world? And I thought you said there's no judgment. But what Jesus says, I did come into the world to judge. Okay, who gets judged and for what reason? Here's what he says. That those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, listen, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. What is he saying? If you said, we do not see, then... You wouldn't be guilty of sin, but you're saying we see, therefore your guilt remains. Who is Jesus judging? Who did he come to judge? People in general or those who speak for God in particular? Those who say, we see, we get it, we understand what God says, so listen to me. Listen to me, especially those who reflect God operating by a covenant that he doesn't operate by anymore. That's what he judges. And that's what he judges, not people in general, but people who claim to represent God. So if you are a person who says, I get confused sometimes, I don't know, you're good. If you say, now listen to me, God hates it when you do that. Watch out doing that. Watch out when you speak for God. As parents, have rules. We don't do that in the McCoy household. We don't do that in the Nordstrom house. That's fine. 
Have rules. Enforce them. That's natural in this world. Just watch out when you back it up with God. God hates it when you... Don't do that. That's what Jesus judges. Those who claim to speak for God and misrepresent him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Makes it, 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 it frightens me sometimes. Individuals who on TV and wherever say, God told me to tell you. Really, it just causes me to... Don't do that. Because God takes seriously those who claim to speak for him. And sometimes, yeah. Um, who is it that gets judged? Um, those who claim to speak for God. This is why Paul's words are strong. The reason why God sent Jewish Christians into the Roman Empire is to represent him to the Gentiles. That's why he sent them. So that the Gentiles would have some people who had some foundation in the Bible. And what's happening, those individuals who are in and interacting, claiming to speak for God, are confusing things. Uh, to judge, to, ju- to judge, you're not supposed to eat that, is to misrepresent God. On the other hand, to despise these people, that's to misrepresent God as well. And that's why he's saying to them, they had a particular responsibility. Um, it's what James says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. That's what he says. Not, not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers. And he's talking to Jewish Christians at the time, and he was saying, if you're going to claim to be an expert, watch it, because you are going to incur a stricter condemnation. I think that, and I don't know how it works. Those who claim to speak for God, there's going to be a stricter judgment. So if you don't do that, you're fine. Jesus said, it says in James, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What he's trying to do is he's trying to get these Jewish Christians to reflect the way God relates to us, which is, He extends mercy to the hopeless. That's what he does. And he's trying to get those who represent God in the Roman Empire to act that way. Don't despise them. Don't judge them. What am I supposed to do? Faith expressing itself in love. Uh, Again, be careful when you reflect God. We have people that take that really seriously. Um, In children's ministry... Uh, Denise will not use a curriculum. She can't. She always has to scratch out because she takes it very seriously to say the things that she believes God is saying. And what she's doing, Josh is helping out this summer, Josh Fliggy, they're doing a unit on the difference between Old Covenant and New Covenant, put in ways that kids understand. How many of you had a lesson on Old Covenant versus New Covenant in your classes, your children's Sunday school growing up? Not much. Yeah, some. Yeah, good. Yeah. 
Um, and Travis is the same way with respect to student ministry. Uh, be careful about reflecting God accurately. Um, talks about the weak in faith, but there's also instructions to the strong in faith. Look what it says, verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So, then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink, wine, or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. Paul sides with the strong. What he understands, nothing, no food that was condemned in the old is out of bounds now. Because the old covenant, again, has been rescinded. So he's clear the, te- the faith of the strong enables them to believe that old covenant food limitations are removed. What's happening is those who understand that are being a little bit snarky about it. You know, so they are flaunting it. Give me another piece of bacon, will you? Yeah, I'll take another pulled pork sandwich. And so, you know, you know what's happening. And so, mmm, boy, this pulled pork is really good. And you know what they're doing? They're just kind of laying it on. They're flaunting it. They're despising them. They're making them feel stupid. And what Paul says, don't do that. Don't do that. Um, he says the faith in verse 22 that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. What he's talking about here, this person, these people at this time, who are not, they don't have covenant clarity yet. They're Jews And they have real issues about what they eat. What Paul says, if you've got issues, don't eat it. Now, these people are strong in faith, and they are right. But they're not to flaunt it over these people because they haven't developed covenant clarity. It doesn't happen quickly. Now, maybe if they continue to live in the fellowship, they'll get to the place that they can be freer in what they eat. But for the time being, what Paul says, if you don't think you can eat it, don't. Don't. Whatever is not of faith is sin, and you're going to feel that you are disobeying God. And don't do that. Food's not that important. Um, Again, how do we apply this today? Um. What if a person is offended by secular music? Should you stop listening to hip-hop because it offends another Christian? Is that what it's saying? Or if listening to 70s and 80s offends? 
or classical or new age. Um, you know what? I, I, I don't think so. Here's, can we agree that this is a unique juncture in salvation history at the time Paul is writing? We are 2,000 years on the far side of the crucifixion. They were within 20 years of it, 20 or 30 years. Things were very confusing at that time. God was moving out of this covenant and into this one. At that time, there was a situation where confusion would be really understandable. I don't believe that same confusion should exist on this side of the cross. So, some of you, and again, it's fine, you might choose not to mow your lawn on Sunday. And I'm not, I'm really not blowing you up. You say it's a day of rest and you're going to use it as a day of rest. I think that's fine. I think that's fine. But if you see me mowing my lawn on Sundays, and I do that, and if you say to me, Mike, you know what, that really offends me. I thought you were a minister. And, and you know, you shouldn't be mowing your lawn on Sunday. Do you think I should stop mowing my lawn on Sunday? Do you think that's what this passage tells me to do? I don't believe so. Because the fact is, the Sabbath is not made, man is not made for the Sabbath, but the, you know, that whole thing is changed. Now, it might be that it might be more helpful for you. Again, as long as I am not, you know, as long as I'm not doing that. And boy, I tell you what, my grass is probably really healthy now since I mow it on Sunday. Oh, I'm sorry, you don't mow your You know, so if you're going to be uppity about it, that's that's a problem. That's a problem. But if somebody doesn't like your choice of music, or if they don't like you do this or that, it might be okay for them to have to struggle with their own feelings of feeling jealous. Maybe they'll get to the place of understanding what covenant we're under on this side of the cross. Again, as long as we're not snarky about it. But but don't don't feel necessarily. Do you understand what I mean? Again, when the, again the big thing when Paul is writing, this is a a unique, unrepeatable juncture in salvation history. Do you get that? When God is going from one way of operating to another, we are not in the middle of that confusion now. It's still very confused. But I think that's about people representing God and not representing the covenant that he operates by. Um, at this juncture, um, God is not, again, as it says, God is not taking sin into account as we believe it, as your faith in this increases. You will find that faith will express itself in love. And if you are not clear about the change in covenants, that's really okay. But what I'd encourage you to do is keep coming back. We're going to continue to look at it so that faith 
can express herself in love. Brett, come on up. Let's sing a closing song. Father, I pray that you would continue to allow us to become stronger in faith, that our ability to perceive and understand the covenant that you operate by, the new covenant, would allow us to be stronger in faith in the things that you promise in that covenant so that faith could express itself in love. It's not going to be a once and done. It's a progressive thing. But thank you that you who begin a good work will bring it to completion. And it would be your purpose to cause us to see your covenant more clearly, to believe in it more deeply, so that it might change us deeply. In Jesus' name, amen.